0: story is called how God believed in me more than I did myself and how he taught me to say yes to him how God believed in me more than I did myself and how he taught me to say yes to him God said to me in a, a meeting that was a really tough meeting actually And actually brought a prophetic word in this really tough meeting and it was really an emotional meeting and really difficult and i brought this prophetic word and he said actually that prophetic word you just gave is actually the story of your life and he said my story with him would be like sailing and uh, I i don't know anything about sailing i've never been sailing though we did live near the sea at the time but in sailing the wind blows and then the sailors, the, they, they do something, they tack into the wind. You know, they pull all those cables and they move the sails to go into the, the direction of the wind so they can capture the momentum. And God said to me, my story is going to be like this. I'm going to blow in your sails and all I need you to do is tack and change your orientation to move into the wind. And my story is really how God would blow in my sails through the Bible. It could be through prophetic words and prophets. My story is going to be how it could just be what I saw happening in the room and the questions that I asked. And in these occasions, the wind would blow in my sail and he gave me both the gift of momentum and he gave me the gift of being able to say yes to him. So that's the story I want to tell. I was brought up in a non-Christian household. There were no believers in In my immediate family or any of our real generations, God was never spoken about and spiritual things were never really on the radar. My mum was really an atheist at the time and just loved arguing with Christians and disagreeing with them. And uh, she was once invited by a person who she worked with, a teacher, who said, come to my house and meet me and my wife. I want to tell you about what I believed, what, what we believe about God. And she went because she was looking for a good old debate and argument. That's why she went. So Mike and Mary Ramsey told them, told my mum her story, and her parting words were these, I wish I could believe what you believe, but I can't. And she walked home, put the keys in the door, opened the door, and the Holy Spirit had flooded the whole house with his presence, the presence of God. She became a believer in Jesus immediately on the spot. The next morning, she said to me, my brother and my sister, I'm a Christian. Honestly, we laughed. (laughs) We laughed because we knew she didn't believe in God and was an atheist and would argue with Christians. And uh, we laughed. But my initial story of Jesus was a supernatural story of God intervening and so suddenly now my mum's a christian and every sunday she's going to church and going to church in a town about 27 miles away and i found my diary from the time and it said this i don't want god that was what my diary said (laughs) I, i don't want to follow jesus he's going to be a killjoy essentially i don't want to know him but at the same time I can't stop asking questions. And I've got all these questions to my mum about God and Christianity and spirituality. And I remember telling myself, stop asking questions. You're sounding way too interested. You're being pulled into this. But I felt compelled to explore and investigate and ask questions. I couldn't stop myself doing that. Jesus immediately expanded our world. And I started to go to a local, I, go, I started to go to the youth group where my mum went to church. And I went there. And I found a community. I must say, as an 18-year-old, I felt disconnected from really from my peers and my generation. I wasn't really doing a lot. But I suddenly found a community. And uh, the youth leader, Alan, would just play darts with me and we played darts, and I would just say, what do you think of this, Alan, and what do you think of that, Alan? What's, what's God, what's this question? I was just overwhelmed with questions. And then I started to go to church. So I'm, I'm now going to church. I don't want Jesus. I'm going to youth. I'm going to church. I still really, really don't want him. And I'm going to church, and it's not enough to go to church. I also want to borrow tapes from the tape library. For you who are younger than me, <laughs> preachers were on audio cassette and the, the Sunday service was only available for the first three who got them because it was recorded in that way. I got this tape by this guy, I don't know who he was, youngy Cho, Youngie Cho, about prayer. I thought, I just grabbed anything. And I was listening to it with my Walkman, Walkman's play cassettes, okay? <laughs> it's a history lesson. So I was listening on a Sunday night to Yungi just saying, if you want a red bike, ask for a red bike. If you want a blue one, ask for a blue one. I loved bikes. I mean, I spent my whole life saving to buy bikes. I still do the same today. (laughs) I love bikes. And in that moment of just hearing, ask God for what you want, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've not asked for anything. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that Jesus is real. I, I know that he, this God has met me. I still didn't want to say yes to Jesus. He, I, I kind of thought, I'm just going to weigh my options here. I've had this experiential experience. Uh, but about three weeks later, um, Alan, the youth leader, said to me, Jamie, I think you're really wanting to come to Jesus, aren't you? I said, yes. And I've been kind of holding the chair in church for weeks, not wanting to stand and and not wanting to follow, and wanting to follow, and just that invitation, why don't you come to him tonight, and I did. Amazingly, that same day I came to Christ, on that same day I got accepted back into college to redo my GCSEs. I'd failed all of them at school for for various reasons, some of them because I'd missed lots of school through asthma, some of them because I didn't really understand and I wasn't motivated, But that day in coming to Christ, I also got a fresh opportunity to study and learn. And I had this confidence in me, I can study, I can learn, I will succeed. It was like a supernatural gift. Those early days of Christianity were so full of of the Holy Spirit. I remember being at church on a Sunday and this lady brought what I came to understand was a tongue and someone else brought an interpretation. I thought, what's that? That's a bit weird. What's this language? So on the journey home, which was 27 miles in the car, I said to my mum, What was this tongue, this interpretation? What's that all about? She said, It's a spiritual gift. You can go to the Holy Spirit and you can ask. Got home, went straight upstairs, said, Holy Spirit, I'd like that gift, got it immediately and began to speak in tongues. Remember, I had no church history. <laughs> Nobody had told me the gifts didn't exist anymore. I was 18 and knew nothing about anything. So everything I understood was coming out of this world where the Holy Spirit was moving and giving gifts. And I just thought, if you can have it, I want it. So I asked and received immediately. And so there was a very much a simplicity about my early Christianity. It was very simple and, uh, and um, I just asked God and received things. I want to talk in now about university. And uh, I went to university and I, I joined this group called The Navigators. So I'd been I'd been born again into a very um, charismatic community and I wasn't really a reader. I'd, I'd, ne- I'd read three books in my whole life. We were told we had to read Of Mice and Men, because that was pretty much what You were told you had to read that. <laughs> I'd read Jaws, because I love sharks, <laughs> and I'd read the book The Pike, because On the front cover, it said, it's like Jaws, but with with a pike. So (laughs) I thought, I'll read that. I didn't know how to, I didn't know this, I didn't understand how you even begin to read the Bible. I, I didn't understand how you even could start to read. And it was at the Navigators that they began to show me how you could read the Bible, understand the Bible, meet God in the Bible, read the Bible systematically. Brian, who led the group, said, memorise the Bible. Because he said, if we ever get persecuted and locked up and they take our Bible away, you need to memorise it. (laughs) Brian, uh, Brian and Kath, amazing faithful followers of Jesus, really radical servants and evangelists, really captivated us with a life of risk and faith. It was at the Navigators that Brian one day said to me, You have a go at leading a Bible study. Remember, I I was shy, still am, a little introverted, still am. (laughs) Didn't really want to contribute, but Brian said, you have a go. And Brian coached me and taught me. Brian said to me, the next person who comes to know Jesus, you're going to be discipling them. And so this guy came to Christ, I started to meet with him. It was at the Navigators that Matthew 28 and the Great Commission really came alive. That Jesus says, I've got all authority. Go into all the earth and make disciples. Also, David Pike at Lowestoft had really fed into that. Love for the nations. Love for the Great Commission. He wrote a little article in a newsletter about unreached people groups. And I used to read it every week. Captivated by the areas of the world where Jesus wasn't yet known. After university, I did a frontier year project. It's a year, it's a gap year where you serve a local church. And on that project, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit where he met me really powerfully through a man called Dave Devonish, an apostolic leader. And after that encounter, I said to Jesus, I will now say yes to whatever you ask me to do. It was after that encounter that I wanted to say yes to him and have a go at everything he asked. And actually that yes, many, many years later, 30 odd years later is still the same as it was on that day. So people would ask me to do things and have a go at things and I would say yes. The funniest was when I got asked to lead worship. (coughs) Now I start off the meeting bold and confident, but people will say as the worship went on, there was a curtain because we used to meet in a drama theater. I was almost behind the curtain, absolutely terrified. I think I, don't, I can't sing, I can't lead this, I can kick it off okay, but I probably can land it okay, but the middle section, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, I never did that again, but I did, <laughs> I did say yes. And then David Pike once rang me on a Friday and said, would you like to preach? Uh, I said, I'll think about it, David. I thought, what on earth is he asking me for? I remember thinking when my friend Hayden was asked to speak, thinking, glad it's not me. Glad it's not me, you're asking. I thought, David, what on earth are you asking me to preach for? But I'd said this thing called yes, <laughs> in, it, because of this encounter. So I said, okay, David, I'll have a go. And he asked me to preach on on Noah. And uh, they kept believing in me, even when I think actually I stunk for a long, long time. <laughs> but he kept, they kept saying, yes, go for it. Many of you will not remember, but in 1994, something happened in the Toronto church in Canada that started on Father's Day. A man preached, Randy Clark preached, and a move of the Holy Spirit started in Toronto, a powerful move where people's lives were being radically impacted by the power of God. People were beginning to understand that God is God and and he's a father who you can approach as a spiritual child. Those things were quite new and fresh. Maybe there'd been pockets of it around the earth, but it was beginning to break out and touch multitudes. Some of the leaders in our church in Lowestoft and some of the leaders of our region in East Anglia had gone to Toronto to experience what God was doing. And the interesting thing was, as if people went there and then came back and told the story, just telling the story would give you the same encounter Mm -hmm. and impartation as if you were there. It was incredible. So whenever people told the story, we went to Toronto, God met us, there was power, we were changed. Just telling the story would ignite the same thing. So I'm in a meeting in which the leaders come back and begin to tell the story about what the Holy Spirit had done and what they had seen in Toronto. And then they said, the Holy Spirit is now going to do the same in this room right now. And they began to pray for people and people were having encounters and breakthroughs and encounters with God all over the room. And I just stood there thinking, nothing's happening to me. I'm not experiencing anything. And I say this not really to boast about my resilience but god had put something in me where i wanted what there was <laughs> and i stood there i think for around an hour and a half waiting and waiting and waiting i felt like i wasn't going anywhere until i'm touched i really want you to touch my life and after about 90 minutes i was prayed for i'd had a wonderful encounter with 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 god that was really the beginning of, of of life change, really. I've told my other story about OCD and fear, but these encounters were doing something supernaturally that was stripping away so much anxiety. And I could tell that story another occasion of what God did in in my cooperation with him to overcome anxiety, but I would say hugely it was his initiative and him blowing upon me that was such an important part. On another occasion, which is quite funny really, I got prayed for and God pinned me on the floor for two hours. I I was pinned on the floor, but somehow I became ultra heavy and the meeting had ended because we were borrowing a school and the caretaker wanted to lock up. So I was carried out by four people and stuck into the back of a car and they went into the barbecue and was eating and after about three hours I, I came to, as it were. I was aware and conscious but at the same time, I was with God, and, uh, and then I, I, two hours later, I'm in this car when previously I'd been in this meeting. So these were moments of supernatural breakthrough that, that God gave me. Moving on the story. In 1995, I had, I'd really finished um, Frontier Year Project, and I really wanted to share the gospel in, in the form of video. I felt that so many people needed to see God and meet God, but they weren't gonna come necessarily into a meeting. So I thought if I record the meetings and then give the videotapes, another ancient part of history, to people, then people could encounter God and see what God was doing in the church. And so I started this project. And David Pike, the church leader said, "'Will you come to France with me "'and make a promotional video "'about English people coming to France to work with French churches. And uh, miraculously, another part of this story is God had provided 3,000 pounds for me to have the camera and all the equipment. Lurstock was a super poor place, a super poor church. And one Sunday, Mike Betts said, let's get this guy what he needs to get going. And spontaneously, people gave 3,000 pounds so I could buy this camera and do this project to share the gospel. It was really, really amazing. So David had said, come with your camera, come to France and to make this video. Honestly, the four absolutely (laughs) petrified and terrified me and filled me with so much fear and anxiety. So what I did was I lied. I said to David, I'm actually quite busy at the moment. I don't think I'll be able to go. And I made up all these excuses. And interestingly, David Pike, the leader, had never ever really given any strong directives to me all, all the years I'd known him. But he just said to me, Jamie, I think you really do need to go to France. And I'd say that was part of my story with God. My yes was to God, but also I had a yes to, the, to, to leaders and people around me. So because David had said it, I said, yes, I'll go and I'll overcome my fear. And so I went. And amazingly, it was in France, in Claude Beville's church, that I met Rochelle. And so that was an incredible moment in which God had blown in my sails about going to the nations. But I needed, I needed someone to really give me a little push, a little encouragement to go and take that step. A year yeah. later, almost to the day, Rochelle and I got married in 1996, and. The, the thing I really wanted when we f- 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 was that in the ceremony was it to, in the wedding ceremony was to have God in his presence. And uh, Richelle's uncle, Jean Beville, a real man of the Holy Spirit and a uh, real apostolic prophetic guy, prayed for us. And it was an interesting moment when both of us end up under chairs under, on the floor laying down because God has met with us. <laughs> and then Jean Beville gave this incredible prophetic word that just amazed us. I've called you to nations, I've called you for miracles, I've called you for signs and wonders. And it it gripped us because both of us had been thinking about nations. I I had become gripped by the biographies of Chinese missionaries. I was reading about people who had gone to other nations. And John's prophecy gripped us with nations and the future. And so our early married life, we had a yes to this prophetic call. When David Pike asked us, what is your life together going to be about? We were just say, nations. We didn't know what that meant and what the implications were of that. But we just had this sense of God and nations. He wants us to be with the nations of the earth to share the gospel. And so we started our married life and we had these two things really. We wanted to be financially generous to the local church, and also we wanted to be planning for when we're going to the nations. So we had these two things going, that we were saving and saving and saving for the nations and giving and giving and giving, because we thought, Jesus, you're going to take us to the nations, and we thought, we'll be in Lowestoft for two years, and then we're going to the nations. And this prophet came to town called Keith Hazel, Mm. a Canadian prophet um, who said, um, stay here and be trained. So we said, okay, we're not going to the nations now, we're staying here and we're going to be trained. And we went and bought a house. That that house became an incredible provision for us actually to go to the nations. Mm. Six years later, that same prophet came to the town and using the Timothy and Paul verse, separate for me, Timothy and Paul, for the ministry ministry I've called them to, he said, separate for me, Rachel and Jamie, for the call I've got for them. And he talked about nations. And it was eight years later, into our marriage, that God had said, green light, it's yes, it's now, you're going to the nations. And so we had saved this money and we went to Denmark. And it was in Denmark, around two years in, that God gave this call and said, I've actually called you to, to, to take a leading role in a church. Uh, And what's really interesting is the money that we had saved for eight years ran out the day we left Denmark. It's really interesting. We had this pot of money that was paying our bills and paying our mortgage that we had saved and some little income from from the church there one day in Rochelle's university teaching. But ostensibly we were living on what we had saved for eight years and it ran out 15th of February 2006. That money, and we came back to the UK. We thought about when we left Denmark were we meant to lead a church in another nation? And a very wise person said, Hey guys, it's better that you learn to lead a church in your own culture before you go to lead a church in another culture. And that was another part of our learning with God was this yes to the wisdom and insight of people. So when this guy Tony Thompson, who was a, a wise leader, lots of churches said that, we said, Okay, we're going to lead in the UK. And so we come back to Denmark, back to the UK, to this little church that we thought was 40 people. Then it looked like they might be 27. But when we landed, it turned out to be uh, less than 14. And it was tiny and, and it struggled. And you hadn't seen a visitor come to the church for over two years. And it was dry and people had been trying to keep this thing going for such a long time and it would have been so, so hard to do that. So that was a challenging, challenging moment, a challenging place and we kept faithfully serving and doing what we knew how to do week by week and then came an incredible encounter again with the Holy Spirit. We'd arrived there in 2006. In 2007, another prophet called Julian Adams was doing a meeting in Chelmsford. And again, he prayed for people, and I thought, I need you so much. It's so dry and so challenging, and we're being faithful. But I don't honestly know how we're going to move this little congregation of 12 people to impact a town if you don't (coughs) meet me. And I just stood there waiting for over an hour, and then he prayed, and oil appeared in my hands. And the whole prophetic word from Jean Beville, which had taken place some 11 years before, just flooded back and he prophesied over us and he gave us a fresh commissioning, a fresh encounter, a fresh sense of his power. And we began to devour books on healing and miracles and the Holy Spirit and read and read and read and read as much as we could. And literally for three months could not sleep because of the presence of God and the power of God. Around a year after that encounter, I'm going to set up the chairs and I open up the door of the art centre and the Holy Spirit has filled the building. Actually, I think, thinking about it, it echoed how my mum had gone into the house and the Holy Spirit had filled the house. And he had filled this art centre with his presence when no one was there. And I just thought, you're here. And it was the first time I'd felt and sensed him in a church meeting for 18 months And he began to blow in our meetings and people began to get refreshed and the church began to grow and new people started to come along and some people just came to be refreshed. Just to land here then, moving to London where we are now. In December 2008, I gave a talk to a region of leaders about culture and art and how to reach reach out. And this talk turned out to be a huge transitional moment. Tony Thompson, if you remember, was the guy who said, come to your own culture and lead, and connected us to to Dunmo, this church in Essex. He just felt as I was speaking, he said, I think Jamie and Rachel are in the wrong place. I think they actually need to be in a city, in a multicultural setting, where what they're talking about makes a lot more sense. And so it was really exciting Tony Thompson saying that. It resonated deeply in us, but at the same time didn't have Holy Spirits, yes. Do you remember that story? We were reflecting on what Tony was inviting us to. We said it's a bit like Moses when God said, I'll just make a great nation with you. And, 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 and Moses said, no, I... I, I he kind of said no to that invitation, and it felt like we had to say no to an invitation, that we needed God's yes. We needed God to speak. And and I would say so often there's been those moments of people asking and people inviting, and, and there's also been that need to have a personal sense of conviction. God has said, God is directing, God's opening up. So I've heard God's voice in my head, in particular directive ways on three occasions that have been really, really significant. One was when I was in Amiens, where Rochelle's mum and dad uh, live. I was sitting on the sofa about to go back to the UK, wondering if I'll ever see this girl that I really like, Rochelle, ever again. There was no reason why I'd ever see her again. And I heard a voice saying, you will be back on this sofa. And it was like... A promise is going to happen. I was back on that sofa four or five months later. So this voice of God, this affirming, confirming voice of God has been so important in our journey. Once I had a promise that God said, you'll know what to do, you'll hear my voice. And I waited for his voice from that prophetic word from 2012 for two and a half years. And then suddenly I'm on the way in a car. He says, tomorrow you say. Um, In Denmark... We, we were struggling, it was challenging, it was difficult, and we didn't know should we come back to the UK or not. And I heard that voice again, the same voice that said on the sofa, you'll be back, saying, you can go if you want to. What? We can? And so we did. So the voice of God and hearing his voice has been so important, and, it, and also in relationship to others. So actually we said no at that moment, we're not moving anywhere. We don't have permission from God. Toppy, though, invited us to Bermondsey to go to a meeting to hear about church planting in London. So although we didn't have a a permission from God to go, we said, yes to Toppy, we're happy to explore. And so it was in that meeting where Toppy said this sentence, take a church in a community, transform it so it can impact a community. And so we looked at one another and said, we both looked at one another and said, we are moving we are moving to London, not knowing what that meant. 2009, we're going, and 2010, we met. Because we, had a, we now had a, a word that was from a person, but now we had a word from God. Now we had a permission from God, and the permission from God enabled us to move. So to conclude, that I can see through each stage how Holy Spirit has been active and blowing uh, and working. I can look back on even my own wobbly steps and my own moments of unbelief and insecurity, how he was more than enough to convince me and to enable me to say yes and explore the new things. I can see how he believed in me more than I believed in myself, and that he has been relentless in his pursuit. I can see how that verse that resonated with me, 1 Timothy 1.18, fight according to the prophecies made about you. Fight according to the assessment of God. Fight according to how God sees you, not how you feel about yourself. Fight according to the way heaven views your life and the potential of your life, not how you see yourself, but how I see you. And I can see how he was pursuing me, to convince me, to persuade me, to be patient with me, to be so kind to me, to come to me more than once, sometimes more than one person would need to say something, but I can see how he pursued me.